Live from Utrecht. This is the fan William Schorznedo. Hello. Oh Hello. my god. Who's there? Uh, a burglar. <laughs> we have another entity. We have another person. fan William Schorznedo with extra Samson today. That's right. Ruben, welcome. Welcome back. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. Guys, first of all, congratulations. As of yesterday, we are the number one in the world of most new corona cases. <laughs> well done. Even better than the White House? Yes, we're number one. Oh, that's amazing. Does anyone want to thank their parents, Ruben? I just hope my parents will be safe in these trying times. <laughs> Shorts, I know you're happy with this. No, I mean, I could say I told you so, but that's... Uh, <laughs> yeah, you kind of did, didn't we? Like last week, that was basically... You, who could have predicted this, right? I don't know. I, I don't guess George could have. Okay, let's we'll talk. See, let's uh, talk Bitcoin. Oh, do you want to add something about Corona, Shors? No, we'll we'll see what happens. Let, we'll see what happens, guys. I forgot to mention something. Oh my God! I have amazing news. Tell me. Actually, Shors, you already know the news. I know. Ruben, what's the news? The fan weirdom Shorsnado has its own feed now. Wow! Its own RSS feed, and it showed up in my podcast app. Excellent. So. I'm now su subscribed to the Fan Wordum Schurznado. If you're listening and if you want to hear for all our episodes, then you can subscribe to the Fan Wordum Schurznado. I'll be subscribing for sure. It's actually exactly what I was asking you guys for, like what I was missing. I just wanted to be able to subscribe to your podcast specifically. So great. So I, that's, I got it. that's two su two subscribers already, Shores. Me and Ruben. That's excellent. We're and on I, the roll. I was already subscribed. So another related it's free. News, <laughs> another related news is that we have, have had our first swap cast. Oh yeah, that's true. Because right. we actually featured on the Unhashed. That's the what Unhashed podcast. That's right. Yeah. So sometimes we're getting technical issues or whatever and unable to record. And then what we do is we look at other podcasts or something where maybe I appear or one of the other guys and we broadcast that. So in this case, I came onto your show. So I asked you guys, maybe we can put that on the Unhashed podcast. So our Unhashed podcast listeners were also able to listen to the last episode and probably... You know, if, I don't know, a couple of weeks from now we run into issues again, maybe I'll be asking you to air this episode. So maybe Amazing. it'll be uh, number two Yeah, well. and if you need an extra motivation to check that out, we actually re-edited the audio. So it's going to be a little bit better than the original. That's so correct. Check it out. Yeah. All right. I wanted to mention that. Let's talk Bitcoin, Ruben. You're, yeah. We're going to discuss another of your proposals. That's right. It's, it's your sidechain proposal, which I'm sure has a very compelling name which i i'm forgetting right now yeah so it's actually kind of tricky because the word sidechain is very overloaded so i i'm not entirely certain whether or not i should be calling it a sidechain right um, so generally speaking these days i call it a blind merge mind chain mm -hmm. and it actually is kind of a combination of two mechanisms so one is blind merge mining which is some kind of process where you somehow create another blockchain via bitcoin and the second one is called the perpetual one-way peg, which is kind of a method of creating a token on the chain without having some kind of speculation aspect where there's going to be a pump and dump, some kind of shitcoin, avoiding all of that. Yeah. And I, I say, first of all, the reason why you're probably not super comfortable calling it a sidechain is because the idea behind the sidechain is essentially that you move bitcoins or coins or something packed to bitcoins from Bitcoin to an alternative chain where alternative rules apply. 
and then you can move it back to the Bitcoin blockchain. That's right. And that last step, that's actually not possible in your proposal. That last step is not entirely possible. There is some hope that maybe the token that's on there is not going to be too far from being worth one Bitcoin, so you can trade it back and forth, but that is not guaranteed at all. Yeah, that's so, kind of yeah. the theory, which we'll get into in a yeah. bit. Yeah. Okay, so it's not quite a sidechain, but it has some similar properties. Most obviously, this alternative chain can have alternative rules. Yeah. So Bitcoin has all sorts of rules, like a block is found once every 10 minutes and all, all of the other rules. And then with this merged mine chain, this alternative chain, you can have other rules. For example, you can have more privacy yeah. or you can have more smart contracting types of capabilities or DeFi. what are some other <laughs> what are some other nifty benefits you see well, in a chain like this you can even have the same num the same rules but it's just going to be cheaper because you do a bunch of transactions on the side chain and then occasionally you make a block and cheaper that's represented as just one transaction on the bitcoin side yeah so yeah cheaper, cheaper transactions that's that's an option what are other benefits you 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 foresee for something like this let's start yeah with that. so i mean this is i guess it goes into kind of the use cases so I would say that this kind of chain, so it can be literally any chain, right? So everything that all coins are doing can kind of be done on these these uh, blind merge mine chains, except the one difference here is that it's not going to be a store of value. If you want store of value, you got to use Bitcoin. But anything else, anything that's not storing value, you can do with these chains. And then the question kind of becomes, well, what non-store of value use cases are there for other chains? And a couple of things have come to mind, mainly colored coins. So that would be the main use case, I think. Any person who wants to create some kind of token, use the Tether, for instance, can issue these on a separate chain. And that is preferable to issuing them on top of the Bitcoin blockchain, because on the, on the Bitcoin blockchain, presumably fees are going to be high. You're going to have to compete for block space. But here you have your kind of your separate chain with your separate block space. So it's sort of scalable in that sense. Could you have like a different monetary policy on a chain, chain like this? Uh, well... The idea is generally that you don't really have a token that is being issued on this chain. So if you if you want some monetary policy on there, you kind of have to issue a token on there. And if you issue a token on there, you're going to reintroduce speculation. So I would say that's kind of a separate thing. Okay. So no, not really. Okay. So let's get into how it works. Yeah. Especially, so you, I, th I guess we want to start with uh, blind merge mining. Yeah, there's two aspects of it. Yeah. One you just mentioned is one of them is blind merge mining the other is proof of burn perpetual one-way peg right okay so yeah <laughs> merge mining first yes yeah um, so i guess uh, very very broadly there are multiple ways of doing blind merge mining and one we're going to be talking about here is kind of a fee bidding method of doing blind merge mining so what, well, what is merged what is yeah. blind or merged mining at all or blind yeah. or not What's so it? yeah the original merge mining concept is kind of to ask bitcoin miners to add a hash off some other blockchain while they're hashing Bitcoin's proof of work. The word blind kind of adds to it that you don't really need the miners to figure out which blocks to add because the original method of regular merge mining, the issue was that the miners wouldn't be just checking Bitcoin, they would be checking all these other coins as well. And there were some concerns with that, that you're maybe overloading miners with too much work, making it more expensive to become a Bitcoin miner. So the, the blind part is kind of important in the sense that it allows anyone to create a block, not just miners. And miners still have to mine it, but through some mechanism, you're kind of compensating them for that. Yeah, and to be clear, when you mean block here, you mean a block on this alternative chain, on this That's new right. chain. Yeah. yeah, so like any blockchain, it consists of blocks, and these blocks are hashed. 
Yeah. And each hash, so each block, is then included in the Bitcoin blockchain. Yeah. And users of this merged mine sidechain, they actually check the Bitcoin blockchain to figure out what their own blockchain is in a way. I'm yeah. calling it their own. It's you know they're probably also Bitcoin users or but you know they're 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 using the Bitcoin blockchain to figure out what the side chain looks, uh, the merged mine chain look, looks like. That's right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. So, guess, so. Uh, concretely, if you're using transactions in this example, yeah. um, as a side chain user, you're checking the Bitcoin blockchain and you're looking for a specific kind of transaction. Mm -hmm. And in that specific kind of transaction, you see a hash and then you, you take a note of that hash and then you start syncing your side chain blockchain. And as soon as you see that hash that you were expecting, you're like, okay, this is a valid side chain block. If you see a different hash, you just ignore it. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're skipping ahead a bit now, Shores, because that I was... I like to. <laughs> yes. Well, it's good. But it was a good explanation. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. basically how you construct the blockchain. Okay, so where is this hash included then in the Bitcoin blockchain? Right. So the uh, mechanism I came up with is kind of an alternative proposal to what Paul uh, Stortz proposed. He had uh, an idea to do blind burst mining, which related to his drive chains idea, which was basically a soft fork that would... Uh, designate a space in in the Bitcoin in Bitcoin's Coinbase to put a hash, and then anyone could kind of pay Bitcoins to miners to add their specific hash to that that Coinbase transaction. The downside to this proposal was that it would require soft fork. It was very specific to drive chains. It was not really a general method. And the method that I came up with. Yeah, hang on. So yeah. in drive chain, this hash that we discussed that forms the the merge mine side chain. That is included in the Coinbase transaction, mm -hmm. which is the transaction that a miner includes in his yes. block to pay himself the block subsidy and the fees. That's right. So it's yeah. included in that hash. That's yeah. what Paul Sports suggested. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, and you have a different idea. Yes. So my, so it still my, uses a hash, but it's included somewhere else. Exactly. Yeah. So my method kind of generalizes that to something that is doable without a specific soft fork. It still requires a soft fork, but now we're using Sigash any prevout. Just as an FYI, uh, OpCTV can also be used for this. So either one of those proposals, if it makes it into Bitcoin as a soft fork, it enables what I'm about to talk about. Yes. And prevout, uh, sorry, OpSig any prevout, we have discussed in episode. Not yet. Coming soon, maybe. Oh, is that that. But not, did, we yeah. did discuss CTV, or did we? No, we've we've mentioned it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Passing. Okay. All right. So, okay. Also, yeah. future episode. So, I I think it's fine to kind of keep that aspect about it high level because it, it's not integral to the idea. It's just what you got to know is that we create this string of transactions, one transaction after the other. With one input, one output, you're just moving a single Satoshi over every time. We use a relative time lock of one block, meaning that only one transaction per block gets into the Bitcoin blockchain. And we use that as a framework to for other people to attach a hash to. So what anyone can do is take one of these transactions, add their own input and output, and with that, include a hash of a block they want to mine. And through replaced by fee, RBF, people can actually outbid each other for the privilege of being the one to add their secondary input and output and add that hash. And so what we've created is a kind of a fee bidding mechanism that kind of exploits or utilizes RBF to allow anyone to include their hash and therefore create a block on this other chain. Right. So what we have here is we've created at the at a point where we're basically launching this chain, we create a whole series of transactions that all refer to the previous one, yeah. right? And all of these are unconfirmed. They're 
broadcast somehow, yeah, but they cannot be. Yeah. They cannot be included in the blockchain yet because of the time lock. Yes. Yeah, am I saying that right? Well, one only one. It's a relative time lock of one block, yeah. meaning they can be included one at a time. Right. And their fee is also zero, so somebody has to add an input and output and pay some kind of fee in order to have it appear in the blockchain. Right. So, right. Be, so, so if we do this before we launch the sidechain or at the point where we launch the sidechain, then how many? of these transactions do we create at that point in time? Yeah, so there, there, it is, you can create an unlimited amount of transactions, but everybody has to be aware of these transactions and know them. So it, it is some kind of like upfront cost. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what it comes down to, but you could just create 100 years worth of these transactions and, and ensure that the blockchain will live for 100 years. And then somewhere before those 100 years, you would have to have a hard fork in order to extend the chain beyond that. So, so it, it puts a limit on there, but it's not... It's not super, it's not really something that's practically going to be an issue. And so right. this is where the magic of Zcash Any Prevout comes in, right? Because you're saying you've pre-generated all these transactions. Yeah. And so the, the astute listener would say, well, they all have a hash. So how can I change anything in that long chain? Because I would break the chain. Right. Well, you can do that because Zcash Any Prevout allows you to not refer to a specific transaction ID, but instead ref- refer to a specific output script. And so you can start adding inputs to that transaction and outputs to the transaction as long as that one specific output script is still there. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Yep. Yeah, so to put it in layman's terms, usually a transaction refers to the previous transaction basically as a whole. Through this software, you can have a transaction that refers to a small part of a previous transaction and thereby you can change that previous transaction in certain ways you can add stuff to it yeah yeah that that that's exactly right thanks to sigash any prevout it's kind of possible to do something like this right i think you mentioned this so sorry for asking again but does this require any prevout or was this would it just improve it because it sounds like it would really require it so either you have sigash any prevout or you use opctv okay one of both Uh, one of the two you really need and there is a third method that shores kind of challenged me on so i have to rethink that but i think it's still possible <laughs> which is he, he challenged you on that before we start recording we started to recording. be clear That's yeah right, okay yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I think it's still possible where you basically just create the all these transactions ahead of time with a secret key and then the person who creates it throws away the key afterwards ensuring that these transactions can only be spent in one way you will need a kind of a different mechanism to include the hash because you can no longer you no longer want to be able to change the transactions. You would have to have like a second output and then somebody should spend that second output to add the hash to it. So it, it would be possible. But the downside of that is it's kind of a trusted setup, right? Because there's somebody who has a key that they created all these transactions mm-hmm. with. You hope that he threw away the key, but you're not certain whether or not he did. Although the downside is not that severe. So actually, I'm, I'm not that opposed to trying it out uh, before, before I get one of these soft forks. Because the worst thing that can happen is that the chain just halts because some unexpected transaction happens. And then it requires some kind of hard fork to to get it started again, but but nobody loses any value. So it's not terrible. Okay. Okay. Let's assume any prev out for now. Yeah. So we've got this chain of transactions. They're unconfirmed for now, and they're confirmed one block at a time. And this means a new block is found. But there is some sort of bidding process going on with RBF. That's right. Which the reason someone would be willing to outbid someone else with a block is because that block would pay him more in the new coins that are on the sidechain, which are in turn mining fees yeah. that users of this alternative chain 
are paying to have their transactions included in this alternative chain. Yeah, that's right. R- that's right. So it, it is very similar to how Bitcoin works. And, and obviously, that's not a coincidence because it, it's really kind of emulating proof of work here. So the fees on, just like in Bitcoin, all the fees go to miners. And that's what incentivizes miners to actually go and do all this hashing and create mm-hmm. a block. Here, the miners, the blind merch mine miners, they take the fees from this blind merch mine chain and they utilize that to put put in the hash in the Bitcoin blockchain and they pay roughly the equivalent of whatever they're being paid in these fees to the Bitcoin miners. So what it does, and that's kind of important to note, is that essentially we're outsourcing the mining of this, this other chain to the Bitcoin miners because we're paying Bitcoin fees and these Bitcoin fees, minor Bitcoin miners will be competing over those Bitcoin fees through proof of work. So indirectly, it's still proof of work, but uh, we're kind of we're utilizing Bitcoin as a kind of step in between. Right. I'm, I'm thinking of 51% attacks. Like, could this system yeah. be 51% attacks in some way? Like, say you're willing to pay more fees in a competing block in the next Bitcoin block? Or yeah. does the sidechain have these rules? I'm, I'm just calling it a sidechain. Sure. Does the sidechain have <laughs> a sort of rule that it can't be 51% attacks compared to, like, the Bitcoin blockchain? Because that's yeah. how it would benefit from the Bitcoin security, right, I guess? Yeah, so I think it's always kind of a spurious claim to say that you're getting security from the from the Bitcoin blockchain. But there does seem to be, to some degree, that does seem to be happening. So just like to be very like clear and practical about this, there is a way, like the difference with proof-of-work mining is that it, it's not a process where randomly a winner is selected. It's a process where whoever pays the most gets to create the block. Mm-hmm. So if you want to stop this chain, you could literally do so by just paying higher fees and creating a block that just contains nothing or even just an invalid block that's fine too, that would just be ignored. But in doing so, what's interesting is that the fees will start to accumulate on, on the sidechain, let's call it sidechain. Mm-hmm. And so this kind of creates fee pressure where for the next block, if you want to keep censoring it, you got to pay even more. For the next block, you got to pay even more. So there is this kind of like pressure where at the end of the day, it, it becomes quite similar to what Bitcoin does. Right. So, but that's a censorship 51% attack. Yes. What about double spend 51% attack? I'm so, guessing so that- like a reorg or- Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess that wouldn't be possible without actually reorging the Bitcoin blockchain. So it is possible, but it would be a slow process. So that's kind of interesting. Where so let's say you want to just do a two-block reorg off the off the sidechain. Mm-hmm. So what happens is that you have to put a block that ha- that is kind of like as a, a lower block height. You have to put that into uh, the Bitcoin blockchain, right? Mm-hmm. The hash of that block. So what that means is for the longest sidechain, the longest chain uh, on the sidechain. And there's no block basically occurring, right? Because there's not not its older block. It's not the longest chain. Uh, so so not, basically nothing happens for 10 minutes. There's no new block. And then another block gets created. And then another block gets created. And now that shorter chain becomes the longer chain. Right. So basically the longest chain halts while you're reorging the chain. And, and that's very unique to this proposal. Right. And I think at the end of the day, that actually kind of ends up being a security benefit because it means that if you're 100 blocks into the future, you know it's going to literally take a thousand minutes at least to to reorg those blocks. Well, but you can't do anything in those thousand minutes except make a phone call. <laughs> yeah. So so the 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 chain halts during that during that time, but that is also when the sidechain fees start to rise because people can't get their transactions in, which makes it even more difficult for that reorg to occur. Yeah, there there is an interesting mechanism there that seems to work out pretty well, but I do think it requires more deep thoughts and 
maybe just some experimentation to kind of see how it works out in practice. I guess another way to look at it is that if you want to annoy this sidechain, yeah. we call it that way, <laughs> uh, we can edit it in post-production. There's only one one Bitcoin block or one Bitcoin transaction available every Bitcoin block where you can decide the next sidechain block. Yeah. And so you you can DOS that particular Bitcoin transaction for every sidechain block. And the, you can DOS it in different ways, right? You can create empty blocks on the main chain for the sidechain, or you can fork off a very old sidechain block, or you can just put complete garbage in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, all three are possible. Yeah, but as long as the fees on the sidechain represent some real value, they'll accumulate and eventually it'll get expensive for you to do this. That's right, yeah. But perhaps not prohibitively. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah, but you know, it is kind of similar to how in Bitcoin you could like 51% attack and create these bogus blocks all the time. But you know, in Bitcoin, it's like obvious, like very obvious how expensive that is. And here, especially when you think about like a low value sidechain, like it's maybe not as obvious uh, whether or not that's going to work out. And, and that's definitely a thing, right? Because um, with Bitcoin, we also have the benefit of having a block reward where every new block creates a new Bitcoins and that also moves things forward. And that's going to be different in this chain where we don't actually introduce a new coin, a new token. There are no uh, coins being generated. So really everything has to come from fees. And, and that's, so that's not going to be exactly the same as Bitcoin. There's no subsidy. There's no subsidy. Okay, so that's the merged mine part. Yes. I think that's pretty clear to me. Is it to, is it to you, Shors? Almost. But I have one more advanced question. Mm. What is in this scaffold of transactions that we're talking about? Because like we said, we pre-generate a whole series of transactions for the next 10 years. Right. And they have each have one input and one output. Yeah. And those can and those will stay the same forever. But we can add inputs and outputs later to do to commit to blocks, etc. Yeah. What is in these initial inputs and outputs? And why can't I shuffle them around and, and do mean things with them? Right. So um this is actually a covenant. So a covenant is basically an enforcement of how an output is going to be spent. But Bitcoin doesn't have covenants. Bitcoin doesn't have covenants yet. <laughs> but with any prevout, actually, uh, we'll be kind of incidentally introducing the equivalent to the OpCTV covenants, which is something that uh, Jeremy Rubin has been working on. And essentially what it is, is, is this is... With OpCTV, I guess it's easier to explain. It's basically a hash in the output that determines what the next transaction is that is allowed to spend that output. And what we do here is instead of the hash, we actually put the signature in the output ahead of time. So normally what you have is you have a you have a pub key or a pub key hash, and then when you spend it, you you create the signature for that pub key hash. And what we do here is we actually have in the output the pub key hash plus the signature. And it's all there already. So it's already predetermined how it's going to be spent. But this is only possible with Sigash uh, any prevouts because the signature kind of refers back to the transaction itself. And that will be kind of a circular reference. So with any prevout, because you don't have to sign the transaction itself, the transaction that you're spending, or at least not the TXID, you don't have that issue. So it becomes possible to do a covenant like that. So the signature in transaction one refers to transaction two. Yeah. And the signature in transaction two 
refers to transaction three because the signature is in the output now. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This, this is uh, quite mind-boggling. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It is. It is a little. It's, it's a little bit of a hack, and uh, I guess we're gonna have to wait and see kind of what the final version of any prevout uh, becomes. But it seems like this will be possible. It is less efficient than OpCTV because with OpCTV, it's literally hash and here it's a signature. So uh, signature is kind of double the data roughly and you need to do a signature check. Just one little side note that's kind of funny is that the signature doesn't need to be secure in the sense that it doesn't really matter what the private key is. So the most efficient way of doing it is actually using the generator G as the pub key that you're signing the signature with. And it doesn't matter because you're already committed to what transaction you're signing. So the fact that it's G and everybody knows it is kind of irrelevant. But doesn't something has to have to increment? Because otherwise all these transactions would be identical and I could still swap them out. Or is the recursion creating a different hashes all the time? The recursion should be creating different hashes all the time. Yeah. Man. So, <laughs> okay. so I didn't get any of that. But I think we can move on anyways, right? Like the smart, the smart listeners maybe got something out of that. The dumber ones. We still get the gist. I get the gist. I think that's, that's good enough. That's the important part. I agree. I agree. <laughs> okay. All right. So then the other part is burning. That's right. Co getting coins, getting coins from the main chain essentially to the side chain. Yeah. Because what we've described so far is just basically an altcoin that happens to be mined instead of like with proof of work or proof of stake or whatever nonsense you want to think of that happens to be mined through this kind of blind merge mining process. But we don't want to create an altcoin. We want some kind of chain that is useful for Bitcoin without creating the secondary token that's going to be speculative, that people are going to pump and dump on, because that's what always happens if you create a token. Even if your intentions are good, it doesn't matter. But so, then yeah. how, how do we get rich, Ruben? How do we get rich? Well, indirectly, you get rich because if this sidechain is popular, the idea is we have a method called the perpetual one-way peg, where people burn their Bitcoins, they destroy their Bitcoins. That sounds like the opposite of getting rich. It is getting rich because <laughs> everybody who doesn't burn their Bitcoins, gets their token gets more scarce. If you go from 21 million to oh, 20 right. million. We're luring people into this sidechain so maybe. And we keep our coins. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, anyone who doesn't move into this, uh, but that's the interesting part. Like indirectly, you're benefiting from uh, this activity as, as a Bitcoiner. And that's actually where all the speculative value goes. Well, it's not really speculative value, but all the value, I would say. Because you set the maximum value of whatever's on that chain with this mechanism yeah. would be, you know, one on one. That's right. right, because you can always burn a Bitcoin and receive a sidechain token through this mechanism. Yeah. So it will never be worth more than one Bitcoin. But I'm more worried about on, the minimum I, value. Hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> because right. I interrupted you sure, in sure. the middle of your actual explanation. Let's get back to the actual <laughs> okay. well, explanation. I, I already forgot what I was You want to, to get about. coins from the main chain to the sidechain. Yes. So you got to burn coins on Bitcoin. How do you yeah. burn coins on Bitcoin, okay, okay, first yeah. of all? Please don't burn Bitcoins on Bitcoin. <laughs> So that's the funny thing, right? Like, I, I think it's fine to burn Bitcoins, but I think everybody's intuition is it's a terrible thing to burn Bitcoin. So we'll definitely have to get back to that. But yeah. To be perfectly clear for those who don't know this, burning Bitcoin just means you make them unspendable. Yeah. You, that right? That's, you, uh, that's, you destroy them, I would say. Like, not sure. not even unspendable. It's just, yeah, they're gone. And so how do you do that? There are two ways to utterly destroy Bitcoin. I mean, you can destroy Three it. Ways, actually. <laughs> you can destroy it in a way that it's obvious to people, and you can destroy it in a way okay. that's provable to nodes. It's both obvious, obvious right? So obvious to people means you're sending it to an address called one Van Weirdem, mm -hmm. which you know for sure does not have a private key. 
So it's obvious to humans that this stuff is worthless, yeah. but a node has no way to know, so it keeps track of it anyway. Right. Yeah. yeah and I then the other way, the other way is what you're proposing, okay. right, Ruben? So explain that. Yeah, so so the other way would be via op return. So op return is an opcode that is generally used to kind of add data to the Bitcoin blockchain, but it can also be used to, if you put, if you create an op return output and you put your Bitcoins in there, your Bitcoins are gone. They're not going to go to the UTXO sats and nobody's going to look at them again. And for that reason, actually, like the UTXO sat is not like the number of the number of coins that were minted up until now. It's, it's a lower number because we already had a bunch of coins burned through up return. Yeah. Okay. So you're sending coins to this up return address. Yes. This up return address that includes a bunch of data and this data specifies which address on the side chain should get the coins and you should have the private key of this address on the side chain and then everyone who's running the side chain software notices this up return on the bitcoin blockchain and then attributes this newly generated side coin side chain coins to this address and that's how you move coins from Bitcoin to the sidechain, correct? Yes, but I think there's actually a simpler way of doing it. So that would definitely be one way of doing it. But I think the, the probably the way that I would like to go with is to have the the people who are creating these, these sidechains, the, the blocks on the Bitcoin blockchain, have them destroy the tokens. And that means that in the Coinbase transaction on the sidechain, they can claim whatever tokens they burned. And I think that's going to be the easiest easiest mechanism. And then they can choose for themselves what kind of key to to use on on the sidechain because they're the one who uh, the ones who are creating the block. But that means there can only be one new user of the sidechain per ten minutes, or that means that well. So the thing you're forgetting is that this is entering the block. This is putting coins into the blockchain into the sidechain. But that doesn't mean that that's the limit of the number of users, right? Because you can use atomic swaps to swap back and forth between the chain. So you really only need one person to kind of add more coins when there are not enough coins because there's a high demand. And then anything after that is just people trading these these tokens on the sidechain for Bitcoin and vice versa. Right, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. of course. Okay, so then, yeah. then, the, <laughs> then the big question is value, right? That's mm. what you want to get to, short yeah, short. because we've decided the maximum value of this, well, because you can arbitrarily burn more Bitcoin, you can always keep that price below one Bitcoin. It, That's right. it, it wouldn't make any sense that the sidechain coin ever becomes worth more than a Bitcoin. Yeah, yes. but the Because is, if you have a Bitcoin, you can always burn it to become a sidechain coin. But if you have a sidechain coin, you can't burn it to get a Bitcoin. So yeah. the sidechain coin just has less options than Bitcoin, so it will never be worth more than a Bitcoin. And, right. and just, just right? to add to that, yes. And to add to that, I would say that for that reason, this is never going to be store of value. If you want to store value, use Bitcoin. This is not a token that you're going to be using for having your wealth there and and maybe like some kind of privacy coin or something like a Mimblewimble where you can add privacy to the chain, but it's never going to be store of value privacy like Bitcoin is. And more than that, this is why you're not going to have enriched altcoin founders. That's like correct. That's not going to be possible under that's this scenario. Yeah. So I would just like to call this proof of pain. But um, <laughs> yes. the, the reason for that is... Um, Really, when you think about when you're burning a Bitcoin, then and, and you, you look at the other side at the side chain, and you might say, oh, well, a Bitcoin was burned, therefore this thing must be worth a Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. But if you look at it as a sort of a collateral, then the question is, what is on the other side of the collateral? Well, it's burned Bitcoin. So it's a bit like I give you a token that says, this is worth the price of my burnt down house. <laughs> so I'm going to burn my house and I'm going to give you a token. So I burned a yeah. house and I'm giving you a token. But is that token really worth a house? 
I'm yeah, not, well, I don't think it is. I, I think why it, would it be worth anything? I guess that's the main question, yeah. right? Like, why would this sidechain coin have any value at all if you can't exchange it for Bitcoin? Why would you even want token there in the first place? Yeah. Well, if there's nothing left on the other side, because you've just burned the whatever thing of value there was. Yeah, so I, I think you can make roughly kind of a, a, the same analogy for Bitcoin, right? Where you can say like, well, you're burning all this electricity, right? And the electricity is gone. And now you have these numbers on this other chain. Like, well, what's the point? And the point is, well, Bitcoin enables something that we didn't have before, right? So mm-hmm. I guess the uh, the argument would be, well, what is this enabling that is useful, that is worth destroying value for? And the answer is basically block space and whatever that block space you can, whatever you can use it for. So the idea is that you need some kind of native token on on any chain that you're creating to pay for fees. You could theoretically, you could try to pay out of band uh, to miners, but that gets really messy. So, you know, s- small tangent, theoretically possible, in practice, not really. So the question really is, is that is that block space useful for something? And that comes down to the question is, well, what is this chain going to be used for? Well, clearly it's not going to be used for storing value, like I said. Um, so what else can you use it for? Well, the first is color coins, right? So if you want to issue tokens, uh, you want to create all kinds of tokens for all kinds of nonsense that people are doing these days. Uh, UC Tether would be a good example of something that you know is pretty useful. And let's say you want to create USD Tether, Tether, and then you want to be able to trade it for Bitcoin. But the, but the reason USD Tether is useful is because it's guaranteed or at least in theory to be <laughs> yeah. to be exchangeable for a dollar but that wouldn't yeah. even be true here either like no. there's no guarantee to be exchangeable for anything no so I, i'm saying and, and it doesn't even have speculative speculative value because you know for a fact that it's not going to be worth more than bitcoin yeah you could, which which i would argue is the only reason altcoins have value it's because people hope that it's going to rise in value <laughs> faster right, than bitcoin yeah. Yeah. so now you've created an altcoin that doesn't have the only benefit of altcoins so what are we doing here ruben well, right let's, let's take a step, <laughs> step back here because the yeah. The example of Tether is something you could do without the whole peg thing, at least initially yeah. and naively. So what, what one could do is you create this new sidechain, quote unquote, and this sidechain, basically, it has its own rules and somebody with actual money issues USD Tether and says, okay, hereby declare that this 1 million Tether exists. And there is otherwise no interaction with the Bitcoin blockchain other than creating these blocks in the mechanism you described. Yeah. And then the fees that you're paying, you would actually pay real, well, real quote-unquote dollar tethers to the miner. And the Bitcoin miner could then estimate, well, okay, I've gotten this many dollar tethers, so I'm willing to spend this much in Bitcoin fees to do this. So then you're not burning any Bitcoin, and then it makes me feel a lot better. Yeah, that's right. So so that that's entirely possible as well, and I think that's reasonable. I think it depends on the use case. And th- the goal that I have for this is that I want to create a chain where there is not some kind of IOU structure involved. So with USD Tether, you have the problem that this chain will stop working once the USD Tether stops working, once the peg is is, is broken. Mm-hmm. And depending on your use case, this may or may not be important. So maybe for USD Tether, it, it could be fine, like what you're describing. I, I think that's a valid use case as well. And I, and I would actually think that people uh, should kind of probably pursue that. But I do think there are other use cases that are maybe not directly something like that like let's say uh, you know let's talk about something uh, silly like uh, you know rare pepes or uh, crypto kitties right like let's say you want to issue crypto kitties rare pepes so these are just tokens that are not really worth anything they become worth something like where you got to start somewhere you got to have a chain first with some kind of token to pay for block space and only then can you create new tokens on that chain and 
and then you're rare pepe because worth something and then maybe you pay the miners in rare pepes i don't know that's possible right I guess. That's, that's what i was but, thinking you can just yeah. pay the miners in rare pepes and that actually puts a nice monetary value on the pepes because you have the market somewhere where yeah. people just trade them directly but you also have the transaction fees and if the miners don't believe if think the market is rigged well then nobody's going to be mining so I think it's fine if the chain transitions into that. And if that means that this 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 token that I envision is just very few people burn the Bitcoins and you only have like, you know, a thousand Satoshis in there or something, I don't know. And, and that's what's being used to kind of bootstrap the chain. And then eventually people switch over to paying fees and rare Pepe's. Like, I don't have a problem with that. I think that's absolutely fine. And the, the thing is like, it, it, the token is just for block space and it's just kind of a way to have a token you start with and you pay... And it doesn't have to be worth a lot, but it'll probably be worth something. And just one person has to put a, one Bitcoin in and that's going to be sufficient to kind of lubricate the whole system and pay for fees. Once you pay for fees, the miners get the token back, the token gets sold in the markets, other people buy that token again and they pay for fees again and it kind of becomes this, uh, this cycle, basically. That, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. I would mention another benefit, which is right now a lot of altcoiners and altcoin founders, they claim that they're in it for the technology yep. and the technology is going to introduce these great new possibilities in the world that we've never seen before and they're not in it for money at all like yep. that's not why they're in it they're in it for the technology yeah now with something like this you could very easily make the argument look everything you want to do you can do here and you can do it more securely because you're levering the security from the bitcoin blockchain the only downside is that you can't become rich by speculation. Hey, but you didn't care about that, right? Yep. So it sort of destroys that narrative. Like there's right. really <laughs> nothing left for them, no excuse left for them to create their own pump and dump coins. I think you mentioned plausible deniability in an earlier podcast with yep. the police and back comparison. That, that's, that, that's right. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like how currently if you want to create some new chain with some new technology, you, you have to create some kind of token because it cannot function without it. And this kind of gives you an alternative way of doing it. And so what, what this does is it, it basically get, no longer gives you an excuse to create your own token. You can't just say like, oh, you know, I have this new chain, so I guess I'll create a new token. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, oh, people are speculating on, well, that wasn't my intention, but okay. You now have an alternative. So yeah, that, that removes your plausible deniability. Now you actually have an alternative and the question then becomes like, why aren't you doing that? I'll give you one example. Actually, there's the, the Tari blockchain that Monero is using currently. You know, maybe they haven't seen this proposal yet, but they are creating basically a Merse mine chain for Monero and they're creating yet another token on there called Tari or something. And now the question is, well, why don't you just burn some Monero and do it that way? So you remove the speculation because all they want to use it for is color coins. So you know that would be one you know to to give a give a call call somebody out. <laughs> I guess it would be uh, would be that one. Yes, but but we just described that with the rare Pepe example and with the USD Tether example. So either a token that's backed or something that's new and speculative, you can still speculate with it because you just don't use any native token that's related to Bitcoin. You just use the token that you issued. So yeah. is yeah. speculation really going to go away? I, I guess somehow it, I don't think so. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow, <laughs> obviously, yeah. These 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 color coins that you're creating can then be used to speculate on. But I, I think it probably separates the technology of the chain from the speculation, right? So now it's just going to be the token. It's like, well, you know, this is some token that in the future is going to be worth lots of money because the people behind this token are going to do great things. Blah blah blah. You know that kind of ICO nonsense. Uh, that becomes separated from 
you know, this chain is amazing because it's Turing complete and uh, you can do smarter contracts than Bitcoin and therefore it's going to go up in value like that. That gets completely separated. And, you know, it, it's funny because the actual, the original claim of the of the e- Ethereum was that they were going to create a chain that was going to do all these amazing things that Bitcoin couldn't do, but it wasn't going to be a store of value. It wasn't going to be competing with Bitcoin. You know, that was not the point. The the Ether was just a gas to pay for these contracts. And actually, that is what this is. And that is what Ethereum is not. So anything that doesn't require store of value doesn't require tokens. So theoretically, that would should like remove value from the coins that do pretend that their token is needed. I so guess. perhaps this could be used for Ethereum 2B. To be like the uh, the B version of it, I, I guess you could could port over Ethereum and do it without a token. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Yeah. Is that all we've got? I've learned something today, sure, you? Yeah, I've definitely learned a few cool. things today. Okay, yeah. well, thank you everyone for listening to the Van Weerdem Shores NATO Special Samson Edition. There you go. 